Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I'm good, Conrad. Thanks for asking. Hope you're well. Uh, you look good in your dark attire, as, as I am wearing. Isn't it funny how us big guys wear darks a lot? Man, it's like the best pajama clothes ever, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Well, I'm good, though. The weather has gotten nice and warm here in Jacksonville Beach, and for that, I'm thankful. Uh, even my home state of Oklahoma seems to be clearing up now and getting a little warmer, mm-hmm. but, uh, some of those Fort Bashers in Texas still got weather issues and not weather results of weather issues. Right. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's a big lick, but nonetheless, uh, things are good here. I feel good. I'm healthy. So thank God I'm knocking on wood. So all good, baby. All good. And, and today's going to be a, today's going to be a fun show. It's one of my. One of my favorite guys to talk about today and Rick Steiner, I think the world of him and, you know, he was so easy to get along with, but by and large, and I've known him since day one, you know, pretty much he, he had a little run before he got to, to, uh, working for cowboy cowboy loved him. Right. Uh, and you can imagine why he's a tough guy. You know, he was real and, uh, he kept it. He always did his game. So we'll talk about that. That'll be good. Uh, what else is going on in the wrestling world? We need to discuss. Well, you know what everybody's talking about right now. It's the AW pay-per-view this weekend. Uh, that's going to be right there at Daly's place. And of course, normally AEW pay-per-views have been on Saturday. This time it's on a Sunday and boy, do you have a spectacle and exploding barbed wire match? This will be the first time you've called one of those. If I had to bet, right? Yeah. First time uh, exploding barbed wire death match. Yeah. Hopefully no one dies. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's, it's in a title, so you hope that doesn't occur. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I've never called one of these matches. I've only seen clips of maybe one and, but I am going to go back and, uh, hit YouTube myself and, and, uh, check out the process and, and how it works out and what the, you know, what the procedure is going to be. Uh, but it should be interesting. You know, it's a. It's, it's tough to work these 
to, for the talent in these kind of matches, especially when the, the ring ropes are replaced with barbed wire. I don't know how you, I don't know how you work the barbed wire, but, uh, nonetheless, there's going to be, uh, a lot of pin cushion sticks. It's going to be look like about a million people checking their blood sugar level. Uh, should be, it should be fun though. So it's different. Is it going to be the greatest thing of, of all time? Greatest thing in history of our sport. I don't know that I haven't seen, seen it in person, but I, I know that, uh, with Moxley and Omega involved in it, that they probably are going to go all out to make this really, really special. You can count on that. And you know, the young bucks are going to go all out. They're taking on Chris Jericho and MJF for the tag straps. But I think what everybody else is talking about, most of all sting is in action. It's a street fight. Sting is going to be teaming with Darby Allen. They're going to be taking on team Taz, which of course is made up of Brian cage and Ricky Starks sting back on pay-per-view man. And you're, you and Tony are on the call. I would have never predicted this. This is going to be great. Yeah. I never, I never thought this was going to happen. And, and, you know, Sting is motivated and he, I think he's got a little something to prove that, Hey, look, don't just cause I'm north of 60 and he's still in great shape. He had let himself go. Right. He trains hard regularly. That's always been his, his, uh, MO. He's always been a gym guy. Even from the days that he and Luger owned that gym in Atlanta, that a lot of people went to main event fitness, baby. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think he's got a little something to prove. Is it going to be a five-star match? I don't know that you can have a five-star match in that environment. Uh, again, so many inanimate objects surrounding you and, and a lot of those inanimate objects don't know how to work. So it'll be interesting to see. I think he'll come through with, with flying colors. I really do. How about the, uh, the ladder match, man, Cody Rhodes, Scorpio sky, Penta Ray Phoenix, so much talent in there. And there's a ladder. This might be, I mean, you want to talk about crazy action. We got an exploding barbed wire match. We got a street fight match. We got a ladder match. This is like lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my right here. Is yeah, it, not? it is. Yeah, you're right. It is. Uh, it's gonna, it's a, it's a card that's diverse and it's got a little something for everybody. I'm thinking, uh, and, and, and I, I admire the fact that a lot of these stories are, you know, uh, have evolved to where you. There's a reason to watch. There's a story behind the match on Sunday on pay-per-view. Uh, there's stories behind it. I like that planning. There's no, there's something thrown together. Oh, I forgot to book her. I forgot to book him. So I think it's going to be pretty good. So, uh, everything else is everything else. I think is shaping up to be pretty good. That thing. Oh, the folks remember it's on Sunday and not Saturday. And that's due to the cable companies having a prior commitments on the Saturday night. That's right. I don't know if it's, if it's a USC fight or a boxing event or something, but the cable companies had issues with, uh, with, with the scheduling. So we moved our event to Sunday. And, uh, so here we are. So it'll be fun to see how it goes. And, and, uh, I know the advance, the tickets are on sale now for that event. As a matter of fact, there's tickets left, but the, the advance was, uh, was huge. I know last week when we were going into the shack match that that advance was the biggest that we had ever had for a uh, Wednesday night show. Yeah. So we saw Shaq last night. We also saw Tully last night. Of course, this weekend is revolution. Don't forget. It's a Sunday pay-per-view. Uh, and I can't wait to see it, man. This is a, an AW pay-per-view that I've been counting the days down for. And I've been pretty fired up to talk about our topic today. Rick Steiner. I grew up as a Steiner brother, super fan. Uh, they were my first favorite tag team and. Of course, Rick Steiner was my favorite as a kid, and we're going to talk about him today. 
because believe it or not, he's got a big birthday right around the corner, March 9th, 1961 in Bay city, Michigan. Uh, he was an amateur wrestling standout, of course, at the university of Michigan. He placed second in the big 10 championships in 83 for the Wolverines became an NCAA qualifier and established the fastest pin record in the school's history at just 15 seconds. Uh, of course, in the 83 NCAA tournament, Steiner wrestled against tab Thacker of NC state Thacker went on to be a Hollywood actor, but of course, yeah, the we thing know- about that match Conrad, just to, not to interrupt you, but I did. Sorry. Uh, this guy was about 400 pounds. Yeah. This, this was before the weight limit of 286 in the heavyweight division. So Steiner was a heavyweight. Ricky was a heavyweight, but you know, uh, he probably was outweighed, you know, God dang, well over a hundred pounds. And so, uh, he, he, but he competed in that, in that, that heavyweight division. So that was quite the accomplishment, uh, to, to make it that far in the tournament and then run into a 400 pounder. You probably remember tab from, uh, I think he was in those police Academy movies. Yep. Um, either way though. Uh, he's going to have quite the different career trajectory for Mr. Steiner. Rick finishes, gets his bachelor's degree in education and through a coach gets hooked up with the AWA trainer at the time. And boy, we've heard this story so many times, Brad Rangans, how influential was Brad to so many wrestlers? It feels like so many guys followed the same path. They went to college and then they met Brad and now they're a big time wrestler. Yeah. Brad was a great coach, great trainer, a uh, real good mentor. Cause he could identify with these young, just being former amateurs and, uh, also all very uh, involved in the training of all those guys in the, <clears throat> in, in Ghana's AWA territory. So, but he was, uns- he's an unsung hero. He's, he's not referred to enough for his contributions. Did always did a great job. I don't know that anybody that, uh, Reagan's trained that wasn't fundamentally sound as hell, right? They got it because he was a coach, he was a teacher, he was an educator. And that's missing a lot in today's, you know, he wasn't one of those, Hey brother, this, and you know, work the gimmick deal. You know, it was all, all straightforward communication and a real good teacher, a good communicator, a good coach. So, uh, Rick started off the right way and got a real good foundation from, uh, Brad Rangins and later on with, uh, Eddie Sharkey. Yeah, you're exactly right. Eventually he, uh, hooks up with George, the animal steel, who tells him to contact Vern and Vern sets him up with, uh, Eddie Sharkey trains alongside Scott Nord, who we know as the berserker or Nord, the barbarian and a few other guys. And as we said, eventually Brad takes over the camp and they're learning how to take bumps. And, uh, I guess uh, the rumor in innuendo goes. If, if Brad didn't like somebody, he was in the camp, he would just pair him off with Rick Steiner and Rick would, uh, make sure they wanted to quit camp very quickly. Yeah. That's old school as hell, man. Yeah. You run them off. <laughs> you know, you find out how much you want it kid. Yeah. So, uh, and I would rather fight. I would rather fight any of them, but if I had to pick one that was going to hurt less, I would probably pick Nord Steiner is just a machine. Right. And he had that great amateur background. Nord was not an amateur wrestler. I don't think great body, big frame at everything the promoters are looking for. Uh, he worked in the mid South. That's where I got to know John. So, uh, I told that story about the fight fist fight he had with uh, Butch Reed in the locker room in oh, yeah. Oklahoma city. They beat the shit out of each other. Literally, um, literally figuratively. And, uh, 
I don't think there was any stains, but uh, it was physical. Then the cowboy made them when they got to Oklahoma City later that day to do television. Their faces are all puffy and blackened eyes are peering and so forth. And cowboy made them fight again to get it out of their system, quote. And uh, they're both their fists were hurting, their hands were hurting, their faces were swollen. It was terrible. But the good news is they they got it out of their system and they did not fight the second go around. They were done. That's all he wanted to make sure was. I don't want any issues here. I don't want any party to it, blah, blah, blah. And both those guys knew the Cowboy was serious. We're just not going to do that. So, uh, and even though Watson enjoyed a great fight and the competition, he also knew that these two big bastards beating each other up was a good way to get uh, medical time off. And he wasn't interested in that whatsoever. So, it was a, John was an interesting char- character to say the least looked great, but, uh, Steiner was the machine. No doubt about it. Well, after his training, he works a few matches in the AWA against Brad Riggins and then Tom Zink and himself go to work for Dino Bravo's promotion in Montreal. He winds up there for about six months and then eventually has a, a brief stop at the AWA. But then he gets an opportunity to, uh, go to the UWF like Jack Lanza helped set that up. Chat me up about this. I assume this is when you first meet Rick Steiner, right? And what was yeah. the relationship with Lanza and the Watts territory at the time? Well, black Jack Lanza was a, a lifer in AWA and then extended his life span and his shelf life as a professional with WWE for years. He was our, I always considered Jack, our number one agent, our producer, our coach, whatever the hell you want to term it. Uh, and he worked with cowboy, uh, in AWA when watch was young, Lanza was young and, the, and that territory was doing well. So they had a previous relationship did, did Lanza and cowboy. So he sees this kid, you know, and he's, he's had all this training there with, uh, Eddie Sharkey and Brad Rangans. And, uh, so he thought he'd be a perfect fit for a uh, cowboy. And he was, uh, Bill loved him from the day first day as best I can recall. And, you know, Steiner had those little short boots and, and, uh, he looked like an old shooter and he was, by the way, he just wasn't old. He was a young guy, <coughs> pardon me. So, uh, he's, uh, that was the Lanza thing. And that got him down to mid South. And I met, uh, Rick the yeah, first time in Tulsa and, uh, you know, it was it just, he was just, he, he really grasped what we were doing and what the business was about smart guy. He's got a college degree. He's not an idiot. He's not a dumb jock. Uh, and, and so he, he did real well in understanding what was going on. He was respectful of the cowboy. He was respectful. Sometimes Conrad, when you get these guys that are been, uh, in, in a mainstream amateur sport, they respect coaching. And because he respected coaching, he listened intently. He, he grasped all the knowledge that he was being provided and, and use it to his advantage. So he was a real good, uh, student of the game, even early on, which might be hard for some people to believe because they just see that TV character, you know, the goofy, you know, kind of a howling and dog face gremlin type deal. But, uh, he was, a, he was really a great find for us. And, uh, you know, if mid South had been around for years after that, I'm sure he's still been there because cowboy loved him. And I think he would have been our champion at some point in time, much sooner than later. We should mention his uh, birth name is Robert Rex Steiner. 
And I guess his last name sounds a little bit like Rick Steiner. I assume yep. that's how his name came to be Rick Steiner, right? Exactly. Yeah, that was it. it. His, his real name sounded like Rick Steiner. Right. And so he became Rick Steiner and that worked well. It worked well, you know, and of course, then when his brother came into the business, he parlayed that same school of thought of being, uh, you know, Scott Steiner. So it was, uh, yeah, that was, that was how he got his name. And, uh, he got over, man, he got, he got over people and because what he did looked real, right? Good reason for that Conrad. It was real <laughs> when he, when he nailed you with a clothesline, it was real. He laid it in. Yeah. He wasn't trying to bully. He wasn't trying to hurt somebody. He had great respect for the business that whatever he was going to do was going to be physical and real. Right. As best he could execute it. And he did a hell of a job with that. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, his early run here with Watts. <laughs> of course, we know that bill and yourself both had an affinity and, and, and an affection for amateur wrestlers and football players. And this feels like he would have been right up Cowboys alley. Boy, right? He was, yeah. he was, he was, he was right up Cowboys alley and, and bill could see a little bit of himself in, in Steiner wrestler, you know, tough guy. So, uh, yeah, it worked out great. They, they, they really hit it off. Well, I think now look, anytime you're in a territory, there's always going to be beefs and, and, uh, disagreements, but, uh, because the payoff is, uh, you know, as the payoffs are what they were, right. Uh, it was, uh, it wasn't any, you got a daily guarantee, but it wasn't much. Uh, so you wanted to draw houses and sell tickets, put an ass every 18 inches. And that was the motivation. The more tickets we sell, the more money you're going to make. So get out there and get over and let's tell these stories and keep people invested in them. So he was uh, really, really good in that regard. And, you know, he, and he, and Steiner was very, Steiner was very much the leader with guys like Sting and others. Uh, and I think a lot of that, just the respect for him as an athlete. Yeah. We should mention, uh, he's riding with Sting and ultimate warrior a lot here. Uh, when he first comes into the promotion and based on his amateur background as an amateur wrestler, I'm sure those guys did look up to him and those guys, you know, obviously in phenomenal condition, but they were more, uh, in the bodybuilding type background, right? Yeah. Yeah. More, more bodybuilding and certainly, uh, no amateur wrestling right. uh, background, none. And they could learn, they learned from, uh, Rick, you know, they could learn about a fireman's carry takeover. They could learn about standing switches and do things that, that seem to be mundane to a lot of fans, I'm sure, but it's a skill set that you got to acquire. And so I think Steiner was a real, real good unofficial coach. I don't know how much you can teach the warrior. Uh, he was, he, he knew it all anyway. If you don't believe it. Just ask him back in the day. I don't still have, have a good opinion of him, but nonetheless, that's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Uh, Pretty famous story from the time he's right. He being Rick Steiner is riding with uh, doc, uh, Mr. Gordy. And they're, they're going down the road and he thinks he sees what looks like a bonfire on the side of the road. But it turns out as he gets upon it, it's actually a massive car wreck. And one of the cars is on fire and doc's asleep. He wakes doc up and they help save some lives here. Uh, They're not able to save all the lives, but they actually save three dudes lives right out of this fire. 
And supposedly one of these guys approaches them at a show later and, and thanks them for saving his life. And I think they even wrote an article about this story and how these guys were heroes. But as the rumor and innuendo goes, no rumor, they were heels on TV. You don't, you shouldn't be saving lives. And apparently Watts was upset by this. He was, you're killing the business, saving people for real. Let them die. It's good for business. It's just like losing a fight in a bar, you know? In the Mid-South Territory, that's no, this is not rumor innuendo. Okay. In the Mid-South bars, if you lose a fight to a civilian, you're out. But come on, saving a guy's life, that's different, right? Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Cowboy just trying to really underscore a point. Sure, sure. I, I'm sure Bill didn't, you know, it, it, they were, the worst transgression would have been if they were both, uh, if one was a baby face and one was a heel right now, they would have been up ship's Creek. Right. Uh, so he didn't like that. He wanted to protect the gimmick, protect the business as he would say. And, and guys learned that early on, they learned respect for the business and, but no cowboy was, he, he would have been upset if they were, if they were a heel and a baby face traveling together, like the old Doug and iron Sheik thing. Right. Back in the day when they got busted, uh, that was actually around this same time, believe it or not. I think that happened in 87. So yeah, this would have been a similar time frame. Also in 87, Rick is teaming up with sting and they defeat gentlemen, Chris Adams and Terry Taylor for the UWF tag team titles. Uh, they lose them about a month later to the lightning express, which is Brad Armstrong and Tim Horner. what do you think of that initial tag title run? I think that's probably stings first belt in wrestling and Rick Steiner's. Uh, what do you think of them as a tag team? I liked them. You know, they, they contrasted each other very well. Uh, body types are different, you know, staying the blonde, uh, very charismatic. And again, Steiner, best way to describe him. He was just a machine. His animal magnetism, uh, helped get him over. People saw that he was real. Yeah. And I think even in today's wrestling that people would like for the presentation of all companies to be more realistically realistic and more, uh, you know, more reality, more, uh, just more believable. Yeah. And you, Rick Steiner always delivered believability. And I also think that he helped sting, as I said earlier, just with psychology <clears throat> and things of that nature. So, uh, they were good. They were good. You, you know, sting could sell and, or Steiner, either one could sell and provide the hot tag. It's a, it's a, it's like a puzzle you're putting together, right? The, the, uh, the, the selling to, to prepare your partner for a hot tag is imperative. It's imperative. So, uh, and to know how to do that, how to execute that. And they learned that psychology early on, because you got to remember Connie, that both these guys are in their twenties, right? At that time, young pups. So they were sponges. They could have been obstinate and, uh, uh you know, I know it all. I'll, i the warrior. All right. I got this. It can't be that hard. Hey, look, I went to chiropractor school. <laughs> so what the fuck? But anyway, I, I like their team and cowboy liked their team. Uh, and, and, and here's the other thing about it. They dropped those titles. I think they dropped them to, like we said, Brad and, uh, Tim Warner. Warner. Yeah. And they were a really good team as well. A great traditional baby face tag team for a territory. So my point though, is, is that staying in Steiner, knowing that their futures were 
really, really bright and quite frankly, brighter than Horner and Brad. Sure. No taking away from those guys, but Steiner and Sting were special. They had it. Yeah. And, uh, so I think that, I think with that said, they had no issue doing business, which if you think back about it, now you get guys, you know, I didn't want to do this. I don't, he didn't want to do that. You know, this guy didn't want to put this guy over, which is lame. And it don't even, it don't even float the boat no, anymore. People don't give a shit. Go do your, you go do your work. And I think too much is made sometimes by talents who are insecure and may not have their game all together that, uh, you know, doing a job will kill me. And I've always thought, man, you must really have no confidence in your own work because a loss is not going to kill you. It's pro wrestling. Get over it. It's a matter of execution. How did you lose? Did you make sure that the way you positioned yourself, that when you did the honors, that you were better leaving the ring than you were coming in the ring, even though you just picked up the L and a lot of guys, even veterans that I hear them talk, they, they don't, they don't like it. They, they still don't like it. They're old school and they're, they're actually brainwashed themselves. So Steiner and Sting never had those issues. Hey man, let me give you a little life hack just in time for mother's day and father's day. I'm talking about paintyourlife.com. That's the place where you can get a gift that mom or dad will never forget. Real quick, do you remember what you got mom or dad last year for Mother's Day or Father's Day? Well, here's how you give a gift that they'll never forget. You find something that's meaningful, something that's personal. Maybe we're talking about their mom or dad who's no longer here. Maybe it's about a long-lost relative. Maybe it's about their favorite pet who's no longer with us. Maybe there was always this dream that mom and dad were going to vacation to some exotic tropical island, but they never quite made it there. Well, all of those dreams can become reality at paintyourlife.com. You simply upload those photos. You can even use a photo right out of your phone. They can even help you combine photos to create one unique memory. You'll pick the artist. You'll even pick the medium. Hey, do you want an oil, acrylic, watercolor, charcoal? You can even pick the frame. The whole process is less than five minutes to get started. You can get it in as little as two weeks, but along the way you work hand in hand to ensure that the artist is nailing it. They're getting exactly what you wanted and you're going to get that reaction you wanted for mom or dad. I'm telling you, this has been a home run for me. I've used it for my mom, for my dad, for my father-in-law, for my cousin, for my wife. It's great for any occasion, but with mother's day and father's day right around the corner, how do we show the people who gave us everything that we really care? I don't think you can beat a meaningful gift like this from paintyourlife.com. And if you're looking to give the best and most meaningful gift you've ever given, paintyourlife.com can hook you up. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. You can get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. Now to get this special offer, just text the word Ross to 87204. That's Ross to 87204. Text ROSS to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything wherever you listen. We see that, uh, during 87 Steiner has a tour of Japan for new Japan pro wrestling. That feels like that's right up his alley. And then yep. in 88, uh, of course, Jim Crockett promotions buys the UWF from Bill Watts and Rick has said he was kind of surprised that there wasn't some sort of invasion angle. And he felt like they were essentially booked as B or C level talent wrestlers compared to the Jim Crockett promotions guys. And I think he, like everyone else realized that was just dusty's vision at the time. Do you know what Dusty thought of Rick? I think he liked him. Uh, I thought that whole, uh, after UWF was bought out, that was, uh, bungled and fumbled and stumbled horribly because you had Rick was right. The talents perceived themselves as B players. And, uh, a lot of them lost their confidence to some degree, self-esteem to some degree. And it was totally unnecessary. It was protecting the spots of the flares and the horsemen and, and all these cats who were very, very, uh, protective of their spots, brother, their spots. And, uh, they kept getting all the TV time on TBS, which was perceived as the star maker. Sure. And the other guys were, uh, uh let's go to the ring. And there was Rick Steiner standing there, somebody. It just wasn't good and poor booking, egocentric driven booking. Did Jimmy Crockett talk about that at all? Yeah, we do talk about that in part two, which will be coming up here on adfreeshows.com before you know it. If you haven't already, go catch part one of our Jim Crockett interview. It's uh I love it. Clocks in at over three hours. You dug it? I love it. I loved it from I it's you know, my the older we get sometimes our attention span is will fail us a little bit. Conrad, but sure. I stayed hooked. I, I, I thought that was just a great piece of work and living through that, some of that period. Uh, and I'd heard all those stories, you know, Jimmy's Jimmy Crockett's famous for introducing me to crown Royal. What <laughs> <laughs> did he start a problem? <laughs> uh, but a lot of those stories about putting out the window cards and, and kind of being an apprentice to his dad, who was considered one of the best promoters in America. Uh, Mr. Mr. Crockett, uh, that, uh, you know, I had heard those stories and he always spoke of them glowingly because I think it, he knew that that really was imp- important for his, uh, education. So Jimmy kind of grew up in an old school way in the old territories. And I think that was a great thing, but he was, uh, it was a really good show. Conrad, you sh- that's some of your best work uh, without a doubt. I, I hope everybody that. checks it out because it's really worth the listen folks. If you haven't heard the, the story, cause Jimmy's career starting as a teenager and all the talents he worked with and all the calamities being in the family business. And then, you know, trying to go national and all those things really, really inter- interesting. So you did a great job. Well, I appreciate that. Check it out right now over at adfreeshows.com. It's not only the audio, but you get the video as well. And I think Chris McDonald has done a fantastic job of adding some context. So as names or buildings or moments or situations come up, uh, we've got some sort of visual representation for you there just to sort of paint the picture. Let's talk a little I bit. Think of- that Jim, I think that Jimmy, 
looking back at it, probably would have consideration for doing things differently. Oh, for sure. Uh, especially in a creative standpoint, I said this before, and I don't want to be overly redundant, but it's very challenging to have, uh, active talents involved in the creative decision-making process. In other words, the booker should not be a talent, right? He could have been a talent. He could have been an outstanding talent, but you know, the, the but when you have a booker that's still trying to be above the title as a star, it, it causes a little bit of a calamity. And then of course, you know, it affects work in the ring and you can, you can imagine what it affects and the communication with the decision maker. So I think in the, my only critique about Jimmy that those days, that if he would have taken more, a more active role in making tough decisions and being able to, uh, vet some of Dusty's creative ideas and direction, uh, things might have been a lot different, but when you, when, when you have a UWF roster and yes, I'm, I'm partial. That's where I kind of broke in back in the day. But we had a lot of good talents that could have been served as really good opponents for the flares and the horsemen and all these cats. But somewhere along the way, when you get to the decision-making process of who's going to go over and how you're going to extend this program and this creative, the, the, the vote always went to the incumbents because Dusty had rather not discuss it with the UWF guys. So, and, and, and he'd also not have to be, uh, subjected to his own roster and his own locker room on that private plane, and all those things that, uh, that, he, that he, that he did, he avoided that he protected Flair's spot. And the irony of that is at that time, Flair was still the best in the business. He had nothing to worry about, but guys were just, boy, they were honed in on that little territory, their little, little niche, you know, little world they're in. And it was, it was tough. So, uh, but, but, but anyway, moving on, Jimmy was, that's, that show was great. If you're a fan of wrestling history and that period, which is very, very unique, uh, I hope, I hope I can't recommend it enough. When Rick Steiner, uh, joins the, the traveling band of Crockett promotions very quickly, he's put with Kevin Sullivan and Mike Rotunda known as the varsity club it plays off of everyone's amateur days. Right. But Kevin Sullivan's still somehow the devil. We'll talk about that another time. Uh, but Rick says that the varsity club was really dusty's idea. What do you remember of the varsity club and how it came to be? I loved it. I loved it. And it, it was, a, you found a comedy nominator with talents. You could tie them all together in a realistic way. It was a, it was a well thought out presentation, you know, doc and rotunda eventually, uh, doc and rotunda who else was in that thing? Steiner. And then Sullivan was a coach. Yeah. Somewhat of a coach. So his devil worshiping didn't really affect the, the amateur <laughs> issues. Uh, but, but you know, Sully was a good friend of dusty. Right. And dusty, dusty took care of him and Sully's a good talker. Yes. I had a, had a, when he was focused in where he wanted to go, he was brilliant at booking. So I thought the varsity club was spot on. I, I really enjoyed the presentation. I think it could have gone a lot farther than it did, but you gotta be careful. Uh, how do you address the politics of the varsity club getting over with the horsemen? Cause everybody's fucking paranoid. It's amazing. Adults being so paranoid. And the, the irony is that the guys that were the most paranoid were the best workers. 
So it's, uh, I'm not trying to stir up shit, but bottom line is, is that the, the, the way that leadership should have been was, Hey, Rick, Arn, Tully, Barry, whomever, guess what? I get this new bonus for you and we're going to tear this son of a bitch up. You're going to draw nothing but money because these matches are going to be off the page. I don't know if that conversation ever occurred, but uh, if it had been put in that way, so the bottom line of that would be Conrad and horseman, you're going to make more money. Right. Oh, uh-huh. now you have my attention. Let's talk a little bit about, um, the turn. It's like a slow turn, I guess, but fans really start to get behind Rick Steiner. Of course, the varsity club are heels. They're bad guys. Uh, and then eventually fans get behind him and he becomes a baby face. Rick says he felt like the turn was done too quickly. Let's say you I agree. I agree. Yeah. It, it's the common issue that we can delve out of a lot of creative uh, controversies. They were the execution of the turn was premature too, too quick. And the more you let it play out, the more you let it get established in that particular role as those guys being heels, then, and only then when the turn is made, it will have it'll have equity, you know, cache. And, uh, that's, that happened a lot in, in the Crockett era and in this era, especially where things are changing on the fly. And you kind of wonder why, why are we, why are we moving so forward on this so quickly? And I don't, I don't have a good reason for that. Just poor planning. Well, one of the other things that's going to happen not too long after Rick joins the company is the whole Ted Turner buyout. Uh, I think Rick did an interview once where he said he had sting, he and sting had just gotten contracts. And then like six months later, there's a meeting where it's discussed that Crockett's going broke and he can't afford to honor their contracts. He winds up getting about 40% of his contract value in a buyout. And there's a general feeling of panic until Turner steps in and then he gets a new contract, which is like double what Crockett was paying him. What do you remember about that transition and how it affected the talent specifically like Rick Steiner? Well, it was unprecedented for a lot of talents because they'd never lived through this, uh, type of tra- uh, transferring of power. You know, they were, they were, they were, all these guys are hired by cowboy. And then, you know, uh, and, and I think that was, didn't work well for them. I don't know why exactly, but it did. Maybe Crockett had buyer's remorse that he bought the UWF could be, I don't know, but, uh, I, I think that it was just all those things were turning too quick. There was the, the unknown. These guys are young. They're in their twenties. They had young families, et cetera, et cetera. And they didn't know what the future held. So, uh, I can understand their apprehensions. You know, they got, we forget that this thing's not all fantasy, right? You know, they have like you sitting there in your palatial estate, you got other responsibilities. You got family to take care of. You got a job to do uh, homestead to take care of. And you were the primary bread, bread earner. So, uh, it was, uh, the unknown territory. I was very lucky in that, in that trans that transition because my contract was basically done, uh, in the process of, as a part and parcel of the sale. So, you know, I don't look at it as charity. I always looked at it like I could carry my share of the water as a broadcaster. Uh, but my deal was done. And so there was, I, I didn't have those apprehensions. The talents did, and they already got a short shelf life as we know. 
So uh, they were they were living through un, they were swimming in uncharted waters, and I think that was a uh, probably the, the root of most of the issues. What what about my pay? I got I just bought a new house. Uh, I just got a new child, you know, and my wife's really on my ass about what's going on. So I think that's where a lot of that came about. But when Turner bought it, you know, keeping Sting and Steiner was a no-brainer. My God, they're two of the. You, you think about it. Think about it today. If you got if if AEW had a chance to sign a young Rick Steiner and a young Sting, my God, you're 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 on the map. Let's talk a little bit about the rumor and innuendo. We have a lot of fun talking about that here. Apparently, uh, dusty and Rick flair, were not getting along at all. And there's discussion that Rick Steiner was the apple of dusty's eye. And he wanted Rick Steiner to pin Rick flair in like three or four or five minutes at Starcade and become the world champion. Of course, we know that doesn't happen. Uh, instead, Rick's, uh, Rick Steiner's working with Mike Rotundo for the TV title at Starcade 88. Do you remember the creative for that being discussed or at least rumored that dusty wants Rick to be the new guy? Yeah. Uh, I didn't believe it was dusty that big a fan of Rick Steiner or that big an enemy to the nature boy. Yeah. There you go. Tomato, tomato. So, um, uh, it was shocking to hear that because there's no buildup to a program to where you'd have a blow off in a cage. All it was, is it was the match. The thing about, uh, Steiner is, and all due respect to Rick is that if Steiner wanted to beat Rick, he would beat Rick. There would not be any discussion about it. It put his ass down a penny. Right. But that's not the game we play here. It's, it's pro wrestling. It's a theatrical presentation and the casting is done by the booker. So in this, in this fictional storyline, but yeah, there was some discussion about it. I never took it as seriously as some did Conrad, because it just seemed to me to be implausible. I couldn't wrap my arms around it and Rick needed to be rebuilt. He had been booked down. Uh, his perception was been harmed. I thought, uh, he was, you know, he, for you, it seemed like forever. I used to kid him about why the fuck do you go to the top rope? Cause every time you go to the top rope, you get body slammed off of it. I even missed that on TV. One time he laughed his ass off. Oh, Flair's going to the top. This may not be good for Nate. And sure enough, the baby face or his opponent up body slam off the top. And once again, his streak is intact. He ain't yet, he has yet to hit a move off the top. So he was devalued in my view. And uh, would Rick Steiner have been a good champion at some point in time? I think so, but it was not time. It's again, going back to that. We talked about just a few minutes ago, too much, too soon. Right. Didn't need it that, you know, he, he needed more seasoning. He needed more time to get over. You don't beat the world champion, uh, you know, just in a cold match. And that's kind of what it was. So, uh, I think that, uh, you know, there's where Jimmy, we talked about that. Your, your great feature with Jimmy Crockett, there's where a good illustration of where Jimmy should have entered, probably entered in hindsight. He'd probably agree. Right. He interjected himself and said, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know that somewhere along the way, I read something about this, getting ready for the show where, uh, Larry Matizak, the late Larry Matizak, who worked for Sam Mushnick in St. Louis had a conversation maybe with Heard 
because Hurd kind of relied on Larry because he knew him from St. Louis and knew he was Sam's guy and had been taught well that he said, well, your, your biggest money is Luger and Flair and Steiner's not quite ready. Uh, but Flair's got to be rebuilt, but if you get him rebuilt, get him hot again, then the big money is with him and Luger because that was just kind of the trend, the look thing, yep. and, you know? So, uh, he was your Hogan I mean, look wise. That's what, that was what he was intended to be. Right. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt about it. But you know, he just didn't have the charisma that Hogan had. And it's just hard to try to replicate another strong personality yeah. that you want to build so closely to somebody else's star. To me, it's just, this doesn't make a lot of sense. what do you think of uh, Rick Steiner as a TV champion? I will see as a TV champion. Good. You know, uh, because every match is going to be, uh, sound. Every match is going to be solid. He was going to do things that would, were you, or that were jaw dropping at times. So in other words, he didn't have any really bad outings. If you got to, and I've seen him and Scott too, Scott more, more importantly, I guess, or more specifically, you know, they work with a, with a enhancement guy, a prelim type guy who didn't have very good skill sets and was just booked because he was a warm body and let's put him on TV and you do your job in three minutes. If they screwed up and, and, uh, Scott, Scotty and Rick would rough their ass up. They came to the match unprepared. So you're screwing the mic business. Now just execute what you're we've discussed and get on your back and I'll beat you. And so I think, uh, Rick as a TV champion gave the title credibility and that's what all titles need. But unfortunately people don't hold on to titles nowadays long enough for that credibility to be established. what do you think of, uh, Rick sort of as a baby face now doing some silly stuff, you know, drawing on his hand and talking to it. Like it was a person. I mean, this was, this was for the kids and it was over. Right. You remember, you remember what the name of that puppet was? I gotta look it up. I don't remember. Alex. That's exactly right. Yeah. There you go. Good old JR comes through again for you, Conrad. The Alex line. Uh it, it was a matter of trying to expand his character from being so serious and so dog faced gremlin like expressions on his face. He he people enjoyed seeing him laugh or seeing him have fun. Yep or be irreverent. Uh, you know, I was in those Robin green vignettes with him with Nancy Benoit and, uh, he was having the time of his life. He enjoyed expanding the envelope and becoming a little bit more than just, uh, a brute. Let's talk about what happens in early 89. Boy, things are going to change. Rick's brother, Scott starts accompanying him to the ring for his matches. And soon after they become a tag team, of course, Scott had carved out his own niche. He had been in Memphis and some other places, but man, this is going to be the pairing that both are really known for. And they become superstars as a tag team. I think Scott was trained by Dr. Jerry Graham in Toledo and boy, he's all over the place. But when he finally comes in to the NWA. Did you have high hopes for this pairing or did you have any idea what we were in store for? Well, I'd like to say I, I had no idea, but I kind of had an idea. I liked them. 
they felt right. They were real. Uh, I didn't have to use my imagination to perceive that these are the legitimate items. And I think the audience did the same thing. So, uh, I like their upside. You know, you always have to wonder how they're going to travel, how they're going to, how they're going to, uh, uh, co, 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 uh, exist. Yeah. Yeah. With in the locker room, sometimes those shooter guys and those tough guys can be bullies and intimidators and all that stuff. Like Ole was, for example. Uh, so, uh, I thought they had a terrific upside if they got past all the other little locker room stuff and all those things that everybody's got to go through, but boy, they look legitimate. I, some of those matches they had, I remember we were going to talk about it here in a moment, but those matches with doc and Gordy were I, I still think those matches hold up this very day. Let's, uh, let's mention very briefly that Rick Steiner, I think has even gone on record as saying he was pitching dusty on bringing his brother Scott in, but Dusty sort of blew him off. I think the phrase was, I couldn't even get a minute of his time. Uh, but once he becomes a baby face, he starts pitching it to flair and a few other guys. And eventually Scott comes in. Was Dusty just burnt out and overwhelmed with the stress and pressures of a failing promotion. And maybe in hindsight, wasn't handling his business as well as he might have a few years prior. I think so. I think so. The, the, uh, bloom was off the rose a little bit. He was getting burned out. You know, uh, dusty was not long on, uh, time management and organizational skills. Uh, and that's why JJ was there. JJ Dillon was dusty's number two and JJ was highly organized, you know, uh, and took care, tied all the loose ends together. But I think Dusty was getting a little bit burned out, no doubt about it. Because here's the thing, and he he wrote some hit shows. He did a, he had a great run there, all, all that uh, at, at times they did really well. And then when you start writing a new chapter or a new book, whatever you want to say, and you see it shit in the bed, it you could take that personally, right? And uh, well, what am I doing wrong? I'm not doing anything differently than I used to. Yes, you are. You're using the same talents and just recasting them. You know, Hey, look, uh, Dusty was very protective of the guys that he perceived that he was crucial to do creating, even though he didn't create the four horsemen, he kind of took credit for the four horsemen's, uh, elevation. Right. So I think he was having, uh, some withdrawals, success withdrawals that things just weren't working well. And he's hearing as much as he can get the information he's hearing consistently that we're losing money. We're losing money and you're calling the plays somewhere along the way. That's got a way on you has to. And, uh, so, and again, I, I think going back to him, not crossing his incumbents on the, on the JCP locker room, uh, was, uh, a problem. And that comes back to communication. So again, when you're the top star, one of the top stars, arguably, certainly that Dusty was, and you're writing, the, writing the screenplays and you're doing the casting and things aren't working, you got to reevaluate what you're doing. And maybe it was time for the dream to step back from being a wrestler and just fully concentrate on creating better communication, uh, more camaraderie 
and reshuffling the deck. A lot of bookers are afraid to reshuffle the deck. And so, you know, I, I think that was an issue that Dusty had to contend with himself. And that was a, that's a personal matter, but Jimmy Crockett could have intervened and say, Hey, let's do this. Right. Here's, here's what I want to do starting today or starting tomorrow, starting Monday, whatever we're going to do this. And, you know, Dusty may have some pushback because he'd like to be in total control and power. Every, every great star that aspires to be a booker is aspiring for power. And so he'd like to have that power and he didn't want it to be, uh, siphoned off or diluted, uh, with, with a new system. Let's talk a little bit about what's next here as a tag team. We're going to pair the Steiner brothers with Missy Hyatt. What'd you think of that pairing? Missy Hyatt, of course, came over from the UWF, just like Rick and boy, she was over like Rover in this day. Uh, the, the gentlemen in the crowd were a big fan of what she brought to the table. Yeah, they sure were. Uh, she appealed to the, uh, young male demographic. Yes, sir. And, uh, there are a couple of things there that really stood out in her personality, but, <laughs> uh, but, but quite honestly, she was over. Oh, absolutely. No doubt. And so, uh, I look at Missy, uh, probably doesn't get credit for the talent that she's, that she has or had or whatever your, your phrasing. Yeah. Is, yeah. Phrasing is, uh, but she, she was, uh, she was a, a, a proven star with great name identity. So I look at this situation, kind of like the Steiners getting, uh, uh, training wheels, you know, they didn't need a manager, but neither one at that point were great orators. They were real, which is good enough for me, but they weren't slick and cool. And, you know, they could cut promos like flair and so forth. Arn and always got Tully. They couldn't, they weren't there yet. So I, and I'm not saying that, well, Missy didn't do much better type thing. Well, she did better uh, than that, but she had name identity and some fame and it was unique. And, uh, you know, the, the fantasy guys were just imagining, you know, Missy and the Steiner brothers, you know, that's the same old deal where you have a dark journey with managing, uh, Caucasians, you know, there was all that racial horse shit, uh, until she got with the missing link. I don't know the romance might not have transferred there so much, but with a good old Dewey Robertson, Dewey Robertson's real name, by the way, Conrad, another fun fact today, Dewey Byron, James, John, uh, what's his last name? God damn. I just fumbled. Well, he didn't need a last name. He had 32 first names. Like he did Canadian and all these different names. It really, oh, it was Robertson. Dewey Byron, James, John Robertson. He's the guy that got us. He was performing oral sex on his wife on a pool table at the little hotel that we were staying at in Glenpool, Oklahoma. And got all of us kicked out. Can we say oral sex in this podcast? We can say whatever you want, Mr. Ross. Well, I mean, I'm just quoting a story. I don't, uh, and they got busted by the hotel uh, who were, uh, in, I think of Indian descent. It didn't flush well. Everybody got kicked out, but me and they like me. And, uh, I was, I had a real big, nice home about three miles away that I was separated from wife too. 
and or was it wife one? No, wife two. And uh, so uh, we got booted out of the nice little, the little Glenpool Hotel. I wonder if they're still there. So if you're driving down Oklahoma 75, everybody, and you look over there at that quality inn, you know at least one piece of wrestling worthless trivia that I just shared with you. So, uh, and, and ironically, Cowboy, I think kind of a attaboyed it. He didn't get mad. So crazy times, man. Double standards, just a crazy time. So uh, anyway, that was my quality in story. Let's talk about uh, Nancy Sullivan. She's going to join the NWA as Robin Green. She's going to show up as a big fan of Rick Steiner. She's wearing a Steiner t-shirt and some big glasses. She's going to sit in the audience and interact with Rick whenever he appears. This is a nice way to introduce a new talent. And eventually they have a date when Rick opens the door. Nancy's there in her dress with the look that she'd become known for as woman. And then we see a shot of you and Rick Steiner standing there all wide eyed looking at her. Yeah. Pretty cool little introduction. What do you remember about Nancy and her Rick Steiner storyline? Nancy was great to work with. Uh always bubbly and happy. Um, a lot of talent. But she had been in the shadows as this, you know, valet, attend whatever, manager type person. For so long she was always in a supporting role. And of course, uh Sullivan was involved in the booking and the creative. And Sullivan and Nancy were together at that time. So that I could see that happening, but she did a good job for us. And I, and I love working with her. She just is wonderful. I I'll never forget my most memorable meal at WrestleMania. Any WrestleMania was the WrestleMania. I guess it was 18 in uh, Toronto. Jan and I had uh, dinner with Nancy and Chris Benoit and, uh, Chan and Nancy really got along well. They talk girl stuff, women stuff. They, they, you know, they talk fashion, food, and hair, and things like that. And uh, I remember, for some reason, I don't know. The, I'm sure there's a backstory, and we can figure it out someday. But Scott Hall is at the restaurant eating at the bar. Shock. And uh, man, I thought there was going to be uh, trouble on in uh, on Main Street in Dodge City. And I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen. I was in charge of talent relations. Vince, were you there when they got in a fight? Uh, yep. What'd you do? I ran <laughs> like a scalded dog, Vince, but they never got into any issues. They just shot the daggers are going back and forth, but it's just, uh, I saw the other side of Chris Benoit there. You know, he, he, he had a hair trigger temper and he, we finally got him calmed down and Thanks to Nancy soothing, Jan soothing, and we finished our meal without incident. But that was one of more, my more memorable. Uh, the other one was when I, I bought uh, dinner for uh, Piper and somebody else. I'll think of it later, uh, which won't count because we'll be off the air. Uh, and I called, and it was going to be a nice little tab, good steakhouse. And I text Vince. I said, may I expense a meal with, uh, Shannon and I and Piper. And then whomever the other person was, they were eating by themselves. So I invited them to join us at our table. 
can't remember what WrestleMania was, but nonetheless, he said, absolutely, anything they want. So I, I got through the deal, text, and I said, fellas, it's our lucky night. The old man's picking up the tab for everything. <laughs> and then, of course, you get the old deal. Well, you know, that payoff in, uh, you know, to uh, Sheboygan uh, was a little short that time. He's just trying to make up for it. Yeah. I said, look at it like he's buying us dinner and drinks. Okay. That's all. This is having fun. But you got to go back to the history. Yeah. Well, I remember I have my push. I didn't get my goddamn push. Uh, I deserved it, but I didn't get it. Okay. What do you want? Steak or seafood? Well, what are we having here? You want it? What kind of cocktail you want? That's so that was another issue. So funny. I got a lot of those stories that someday I may write. That may be, maybe in my, my newest book, if that gets around to being written, I'm, I'm thinking of things like that right now. Just things that are short stories that the audience can succinctly invest in and relate to. Let's uh, let's talk about Rick Steiner a little more. At Clash of the Champions Eight, the Steiners are going to challenge the Freebirds for the tag titles, but lose when Robin accidentally trips Scott. He's then DDT'd by Michael Hayes and pinned, and this is essentially the start of Nancy's heel turn. Uh, when the heel turn starts to eventually take shape, Robin transfers into woman and starts bringing in the masked men, Butch Reed and Ron Simmons, as the tag team known as Doom, and of course they're immediately feuding with the Steiners. Uh, we've recently talked a little bit about doom with, uh, shows on Ron Simmons and we touched on Butch Reed with his recent passing, but man, there is some fantastic matches between the two. And we're going to talk about that. I do want to briefly talk about the Steiner's reputation here because boy, there's a lot of clips of them working with enhancement talent. And it looks like, uh, whoever had the honor of working with the Steiner brothers could maybe be akin to drawing the short straw. These mm. dudes were, uh, were brutal back in the day. Were they not? They were, they were snug. They were real. They're going to protect their gimmick and protect who they were. So, you know, if you're going to be booked in an enhanced match with the Steiners or a regular match, uh, you're going to get clotheslined and they're not going to stick their arm out. So you can run into it. They're going to, I tell this guy, guys, this all the time. You can't do a clothesline where you're stopping. You're reeking of work and fake, and you're not working your gimmick as the young rock would say, and they follow through, man. Boom, boom. And to me, it sells it like a million bucks. So, you know, you're going to get hit. That's like playing in a big ball game. You think when somebody plays your school, Alabama, they know they're not going to get hit. You're damn right. You're going to get hit. Right. That's part of our charm. We beat the shit out of you. Because my big guys in the line of scrimmage are going to beat your guys in the line of scrimmage every week, every Saturday. So, uh, and some of those job guys, I hate to use that term. Shouldn't you? I apologize. Enhancement talent. Yeah. Well, pre-glam guys, enhancement talent, whatever. That's right. You're right. But they knew what they signed up for. Right. And they knew they're going to have to earn their 50 or hundred bucks by having a little walk in a park with the Steiners for three to five minutes. And if you didn't know your fundamental skills, Conrad, and you started screw, I saw something the other day with Rick and, uh, Scotty was with a couple of dudes that were scared to death. Yeah. And they screwed up the match and subsequently they got punished. They got woodshedded and the strongest woodshedded I could give you. 
The only thing the Steiners didn't do was bust their faces up. Other than that, they were abused and because they didn't come prepared and they weren't investing in the match, their job as enhancement talents is to make the opponents, i.e. the Steiners look like monsters and they didn't get that done. Let's talk about Halloween Havoc 89. We finally see doom take on, um, the Steiner brothers, but doom comes out on the winning end here. Since doom is sort of the new team on the scene, that's probably the right call at the time, right? Yeah. Well, it also shows you the Steiner's ego was in check. Yeah. They knew that they had money, that there, there was money there with uh, doom, but you can't beat them down and devalue them for that money to actually exist. So, uh, and of course, if you look at Ron Simmons and Butch Reed, it wasn't like they were taking on two of those enhancement guys we talked about. These some bitches are big, rugged, strong, tough guys that had the respect. Both teams respected each other. And man, when you can book a match where, you know, both teams, both entities of the match respect each other, you have a lot better chance for that match to be successful. And there was great respect, I think, between those two teams and Hey, look, every time I got to call one of those matches, I look forward to, to it big time. They are just, they always delivered, man. They always delivered. And, uh, you knew that whoever was following it was going to have some work to do. There's not going to be any of this, you know, what's wrong with your arm? You tear your labrum. No, we'll follow through that. God damn it. Right. So, uh, yeah, they had great respect for each other. And when the Steiners respected you, they, uh, I think the Steiners respected doom more than they did the Freebirds, And I think you could tell that by the quality of the matches and how the match progressed and how the match was worked. Uh, so now if Gordy had been in that Freebird contingent, different ball game. They respected Gordy. Hence why the Gordy and docs matches against the Steiners are so damn great. Let's uh, also remind you that even though doom comes out on top with their match with the Steiners. Don't cry for the Steiners on November 1st in Atlanta. They defeat the Freebirds to become the NWA tag team champions. Of course, the title change would air on November 18th on TV and they hold the titles until may of 90 when they're defeated by doom at the capital combat pay-per-view, which we've already covered. It's the infamous <laughs> RoboCop episode of a mm. WCW pay-per-view. What's next for the Steiners though? Well, the U S tag titles, they're going to defeat the midnight express in August of 90 in East Rutherford, New Jersey. what do you think of the United States tag team titles? Oftentimes Crockett has been criticized for having too many belts. This one carries over to WCW. Was there enough tag team talent to have two sets of tag titles here? Um, maybe, maybe, but in a perfect world, I would never have had all those secondary titles, right? Again, you, you, you go back here's what's funny. People are going to say, oh, it can't be JR. Come on. The egos and the fragility of a lot of talents. Sometimes what makes them happy is a title belt, a strap Conrad, like you have behind you. Yeah. Straps galore. And they, they believe that's a sign of respect. It's a fucking prop. Sorry to bust your bubble folks. It's a prop. But it's it, sometimes that's a promoter's way of working the talent. Hey, you get a break here that you're the, you're going to be the TV champ. You're going to be the U S champ. I I'm not against the, look, the Steiners could be anything they wanted to be. And I'd be a fan. 
And they also had respect for the, the Midnight Express and Cornette. And why wouldn't they? They're, they're a phenomenal team. Any incarnation was phenomenal. So I enjoyed their matches a great deal because the Midnight Express shows you how undersized guys and compared to the Steiners and their thick muscularity were undersized. And they were able to break down those big monsters by isolating one from his partner, taking the match to the Midnight Express half of the ring, making a, a handicap match, two on one, frequent tags. And then that set up the hot tag. And then when you set up the hot tag, you had, in, in, in this case, uh, Dennis and, and Bobby, I think, or maybe it was, I don't know Stan, but whatever the combination was, they're all interchangeable parts. They're all very good. Then all of a sudden they went to work feeding a comeback. And I don't know too many heel teams that fed a comeback any better than the, the midnight express. So I thought they had great chemistry. I thought it worked out real well, but I'm not a big fan of so many titles. That's dusty had a, I think, I guess Barry Wyndham had a title anxiety cause he made him the Western States heritage champion. Oh yeah. Which is an unknown title that was kind of made, uh, uh, topical when the, the Amarillo territory was ongoing, it meant nothing. People never even heard of it. It had no meaning. And then you win these imaginary tournaments like Patterson winning the intercontinental title in Rio de Janeiro, uh, which never happened. But in any event, I, I think too many titles water it down. You know, uh, I was reluctant and I've since changed my mind. I thought, you know, having an AEW champion and then have now that we have a TNT champion, I get it. Do we need it? I didn't think so in the beginning, but now I like it. Yeah. Cause it gives a, a but we don't have 10 of them. Right. You know, so, uh, I'm not a big fan of too many titles and I'm not knocking the guys that were that held the title, but any stretch, no, I just thought it kind of watered down the process a little bit. Well, it does. I mean, in Crockett, you had the world title, the U S title, the TV title, the national title. Uh, then you said the Western States heritage and the central States and the mid Atlantic, and there's seven singles titles before you even get to junior heavyweights. Uh, so it's just, it's a lot. Let's talk a, and a lot of Conrad, excuse me, were Pete were doing done to appease talents. Yeah. Everybody wants a belt. Everybody wants a belt because they see the belt as a sign of security and potential income. And it just waters down the product. So I, I, I wasn't a big fan of it. I was a fan of the guys that held it. I was a fan of, I, I could see all the midnight express Steiner brothers matches. You want to feed me, but, uh, too many titles, uh, dilutes the whole process in my, in my opinion. If you're going to watch one Steiner brother match today, I'm going to recommend it be the Halloween havoc 90 match where the Steiners pick up a win over the nasty boys. We recently talked about that one in the archives for Halloween havoc 90, such an outstanding match. Let's fast forward to the first of the year though. February 18th, 1991, there's a title change that would air on March 9th. They win the tag team titles from the Freebirds, And subsequently they vacate the U S tag team championship. And I guess they're the, uh, only the second team to hold both of them at the same time. I think the midnights did that back in September of 88 fast forward to the next month though. And we're not done collecting hardware. The Steiners are going to win the IWGP tag titles, uh, from Hase and Sasaki. Phenomenal match. Phenomenal. That's another one. If you have the time to, you want to watch some really good, high quality tag team wrestling featuring the Steiners. Hey, look, in my, for my money at one time, Hiroshi Hase was one of the, the best in the entire world. Yes. And, you know, Shivani and I got to go to, 
uh, Tokyo and we did wraparounds for the, uh, uh, WCW new Japan event there. And maybe that's where that happened. I'm not sure. I guess it might be, I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, they're phenomenal. So that's another one. If you're a tag team aficionado, that's a word I can't spell can barely say, but, uh, that's a good one to check out. No doubt. Hey, by the way, Conrad, I want to tell you, I was reading the notes here and it just, just now popped in my head. Uh, the nasty boys and the Steiners was a slugfest, right? And the, the champions were the nasty boys and the rumor in any window before it's time said the nasty boys didn't want to lose the title to the Steiners. And ironically, the agents were reluctant to discuss such finish with the, with the two teams. Didn't know how to, they were, they were intimidated. Well, I knew that the nasty boys who I liked still do. And, uh, the Steiners who were my two, two of my guys weren't going to beat me up, but I had to state the obvious. The nasty boys were leaving. They're going to Vince. Right. I said, guys, come on. What's hard. What's hard about this. You're going to lose to one of the greatest teams in the history of wrestling. Now I got them all sitting in the same room now. Cause I wanted the nasties to, to say what their reluctance was on putting the Steiners over and don't give me that. Well, Vince is going to be hot. Vince don't give a shit. Yeah. He don't watch this. No, he don't watch his own product. No. So come on, man. So anyway, uh, happy times prevailed handshakes all around. They hugged each other, all brothers. We all love each other. And then they commenced to go out there and I said, and what you guys should do tonight is steal the goddamn show, beat the shit out of each other, give people something to remember. And here we are, Conrad, uh, what? 30 years later, Yeah, a little 31 years. We're and we're still talking about it. And I, I like to think that little, that was just a way. Cause I, I wasn't threatening their position. I wasn't a shooter. I didn't want their job. I was just trying to help out. And, uh, they, I think they appreciated because guess what I did? I communicated, right? I was honest. I was up front and I wasn't confrontational and they got it. And, uh, they went out there and did their business. And, and, uh, I thought, uh, accounted very well for themselves because they were moving on to bigger pastures and more potential money, et cetera. So, uh, it can be done if you're willing to get all the involved parties in a set down at the being. <laughs> We're, we're the plethora of, uh, Sopranos, of uh, Sopranos reference. references today, Conrad. By the way, that Steiner's match over in Japan, March 21st, 1991 against Hase and Sasaki is Jim Hurd's favorite WCW match. So go out of your way to see it. Eventually they have the WCW world titles, uh, stripped from them. Uh, that happens in July because Scott is out with a bicep injury. So now there's a tournament for the new championships. And who's going to be crowned since Scott is down in the meantime, Rick is going to have the unfortunate duty of teaming with Bill Kazmaier. And he's a guy who was a strong man and had a great look and maybe Auburn. The, he's an Auburn man, Alabama boy. Yeah. Ma yeah. Many folks thought he's going he's going to be like the next Ken Patera, but it doesn't work out, uh, but it was a failed WCW experiment. They do defeat the ring Lords, one man gang and the executioner. And then they lose to Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco's at clash of the champion 16. And then Scott returns to action. And then they lose the IWGP titles, uh, to Hase and Muda, uh, known to the American great, uh, American fans as the great Muda. 
And then in 92, they're once again, going to win the tag titles this time by beating Arn and Bobby at a house show in Chicago. Key term house show that became a trend because it was looked at as a way to rebuild the, uh, non-televised house show events, right. By having big things occur at those, uh, occasionally, and then promoting that on television. Uh, so you don't want to miss the live action coming to the Huntsville Von Braun civic center on a Thursday night. Look at you remembering the Von Braun. Hey, Bobby Eaton and Arn Anderson, they didn't team a long time. But my goodness, were there ever two individual better tag team wrestlers? They got to be right at the top of the list, right? That's right. You know, uh, two Southern boys. Yeah. Arn. What, Bobby? What? Well, Bobby, I'll look first of all. I'll sell. Okay, Bobby. He's great. (laughs) What's in your mouth, Bobby? Marbles? I love Bobby Eaton, and he is just such a, he's so good. Yeah. He was so good. My God. Timing. You know, uh, the thing that impressed me years ago about Yoko Zuna was his timing uh, ability to execute the small window of things that he did because of his size. Bobby could do anything and had immaculate timing. And then you add this old dude named uh, Marty Lundy to the combination. One of our podcasting brothers here on the network and hell man, it, that's magic. But you know, they, they just didn't, they didn't, uh, they didn't do bad pr- prior to their uh, teaming Connie, but they, they certainly were special and they weren't a lot, they weren't together long enough for enough people to see them, see how special they were. You and I remember, right. And maybe some fans out there that are a little older, but if you're a younger fan and you've never seen Bobby and Arn in tag action, it's a clinic, it's a clinic. And if you're a tag team wrestler, you're a wannabe. You're somebody that's uh, just getting things rolling in their career. These are the kind of unknown to the general populace uh, matches that you want to watch. Understand why they do what they do. Understand how they make transitions. They're not awkward. They're not clumsy. They're not clunky. They're everything is smooth and it makes sense. It's logical. So I'm with you, man. They, that was a very much an unsung tag team. Let's talk about what's next, uh, for Rick Steiner here though. Um, I guess we should also mention around this time, we see the reappearance of the NWA on WCW TV. There's going to be a new tournament for the NWA world tag team titles, which is going to involve the Steiners. Uh, we've talked a little bit about this, but you know, that the Steiners are going to be there at the end. It's beach blast 92, where it's the Steiners in there with Steve Williams and Terry Gordy. Gordy and Williams win the match, but not the WCW tag team titles. How excited were you to see Gordy and doc come in? Well, it's a fan's dream because of this match, you know, doc and Gordy amassed a phenomenal reputation, uh, and gotten really over in Japan and making a lot of money. Uh, and you know, our deal with them, Cowboys there then at that time, you know, what started doc among other people. And he, he actually was involved in Gordy's career early on because Terry got started wrestling as a pro at 16. And, uh, I've heard old timers say that I trust and rely on that. He was the best teenage wrestler they ever saw. He just had it. And just, there was no, he didn't grow into that role. He was just some way, some reason he was just goddamn on the money. Right. So I was very happy about it because I was a, hey, a fan boy, like everybody else, you know, I still, still am for that matter. 
Of course. I don't have a problem saying that. But golly, man, to know that Doc and Gordy coming in, the inevitable match was going to occur between them and the Steiners. How any wrestling fans could not look forward to that is beyond me. Well, we know what's next for the Steiners. They're going back to Japan and they're going to defeat the incredible tag team of big van Vader and bam, bam, Bigelow to win the IWGP tag titles. Again, this is a definite dream match. It is on YouTube. Am I wrong? Or is this like, I feel like the Steiners era of tag team wrestling, it's probably the best ever. I mean, we're talking about them working with Arn and Bobby and doom and the midnight express doc and Gordy Vader and bam, bam. Hase and Sasaki, dude, this is the golden age of tag team wrestling right here. Yeah. It's awesome. All, all, all you just named a bunch of hall of fame guys. Right. And it's funny that some, in some circles of pro wrestling, you can almost tell that some guys who's, who, who, who uh, yearn, uh, to be single stars. It's like cowboy told, uh, Brody and, and Hanson way back in the mid seventies, uh, at Shreveport TV. Cause I heard him tell him that, uh, you guys, big money is going to be made as singles. Well, and that's why I'm going to push you as singles. And they didn't want to be singles. They want to be a team. And so they gave their notice and they left to go, they went to Memphis, I think. So, but eventually and ironically, the cowboy was right again, they became huge single stars. Even though they had success in tags subsequently to that, but their primary big money was coming from Japan and coming from in, in singles matches. So, uh, it was an incredible era of tag team wrestling. Another area era that some of our younger fans should investigate, uh, because you're going to be, if you like tag team wrestling, but my point I was about to make was the fact that a lot of singles guys look at being in a tag as a weakness. And anything it's far from it, man. Come on. It's a shame that it doesn't continue. I mean, here we've got the Steiners. Now the IWGP tag champ, they're the WCW champs and the IWGP for the second time at the same time. Uh, but that's all going to change on July 5th, 92, the Steiners lose their WCW straps to doc and Gordy at a house show in Atlanta. That's right. This is the third tag team title change in a row that happened on a house show. The Jim's point that trying to drum up business for those live events that had been fairly anemic at this point, the Steiners eventually do lose those Japanese championships to Scott Norton and, uh, who was going to become Ludwig Borga that happens on November 22nd, 1992. Tony Hahn was Ludwig Borga. That's right. And unfortunately Rick gets injured around this time. And on October 17th, Scott would beat Rick steamboat for the WCW world television championship. So. A lot of times when you see brothers or a successful tag team, people start to wonder when are we going to split them up? And we saw before they were a tag team, Rick was the TV champion. Well, now with Rick down, Scott gets to try his hand in singles and he beats steamboat. One of the all-time greats to become the television championship. And around that same time, we start to see some seeds planted for a potential heel turn with Scott Steiner. And of course, I don't know that we ever get to see it all the way happen. Because the Steiners suddenly leave WCW. What do you remember about them leaving world championship wrestling? Well, I remember the cowboy having issues communicating with Scott Steiner. Okay. Uh, to the point that I think, uh, they were going to have a meeting or did have a meeting 
And I, I watched him tell me what he's going to meet with these guys and get all this shit cleared up and blah, blah, blah. And then he mentioned to me, he's got his gun with him. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. Wild Bill, come on, saddle your horse, put him in the barn, leave the gun at home. You don't, but he was obviously he perceived Scott as being very volatile and dangerous for a guy cowboy's age. So what do you do? You get an equalizer to protect yourself. So Bill's lack of ability or, or motivation to make, uh, to, to make peace with Scott, uh, was unsuccessful. And when Bill told, I think Bill told Scott, uh, Rick, that I'm not going to sign your brother back. Right. And that made the decision to leave WCW for WWE that much easier for the Steiners. Scotty was, I mean, excuse me. Rick was the Rick was the foreman of the ranch and, but his little brother getting not being renewed or getting cut from the team, whatever you want to look at, how you, however you want to look at it did not set well with big brother. And so that facilitated their exit much easier, much more quickly. And it was a blow. It was a blow. We, these guys that we named all these teams they worked with, they had, they had earned a national and a global reputation as being as good a tag team as there was it. You can't just automatically take somebody off the shelf and say, well, well, this is a seamless trans transition. It wasn't seamless. You don't replace a team like the Steiners uh, without it hurting your roster. It's, uh, an interesting story. I've never really asked Scott about it, but I mean, do you think how, how much of Scott's frustration do you think was based on Eric Watts? Oh, some, yeah, some was but a lot of guys had that apprehension. Yeah. You know, cowboy, the, here's a, here's an, uh, an analogy. Maybe it was the same. It was the same basic, uh, pushback that dusty got the whispering in the shadows, uh, of, uh, you know, uh, when, when dusty started pushing Dustin so heavily. The difference was that Dustin was a lot better worker than Eric. Right. So, you know, I'm, uh, it was just, it shouldn't have happened. Eric was not ready for that role at that time. And, you know, and we were trying to s squeeze a square peg in a round hole, so to speak, all because cowboy could, because he was the boss. No different than Dusty could because he was a boss when the when the Dustin push came along. So uh, there's going to be there's going to be uh, feedback. Most guys would say a word. Most guys aren't Scott Steiner. He expressed himself. He had no issues expressing himself. He had no fear of, of anybody of anything, and he was going to stick his mind. And he knew that his brother was going to support him. They were they wanted to be a team. They wanted to travel together. They wanted to be on the road together and look, they'd already proven themselves. It's been great. So why, why screw up greatness? You can't replicate it. So that's another issue where you've got a, uh, the booker being too close to the creative, maybe, which may sound oxymoronic, but Bill should have, Bill should have known better than to try to push Eric at that point in time should have waited, uh, and let him earn his stripes earn the respect of the guys in the locker room. Eric was a nice enough kid. No doubt about that. Sure. He just wasn't ready for that spot. Let me ask, did you, 
when you're tight with cowboy, you're friendly with the Steiners. Did you have any conversation with either side when all of this is sort of coming to a head and try to intervene or was that not really something you were interested in? No, I talked to him about it. You know, I was all for the company surviving and becoming profitable and cowboy being able to turn it around and all those good things. But yeah, we talked about it. His issue came back to Scotty. Like you can't control him, kid. You can't right. control him. Okay. Or do you want you try a little harder? Right. You, you can take these arguments and these debates to cowboy with cowboy so far. Then at some point in time, if you read the room correctly, you know, it's time to back away. Right. He ain't changing his mind. And now he's becoming defiant with me because I have a different, different, different opinion of him. And I also think that affected my relationship with the Steiners because I was so closely related, uh, affiliated with a cowboy, you know, even though I was in WCW for, for a good long while before Watts came there, I, you know, I didn't bring him in, you know, uh, but I got blamed for some of his shit. And I think it ended up my relationship with him. If you ask Bill Shaw, the former WCW, uh, guru, uh, you know, I think he would say, well, we just wanted to clean house. And, and Jr was a guy with too close of ties to cowboy. So shame on me for being loyal. Well, they jump ship and boy, you're not too far behind them. Uh, they show up at the, uh, I guess the very first raw January 11th, 1993, you're going to show up April 4th, 1993 at WrestleMania. And you got the band back together. Do you remember having some interaction with the Steiners at your first WrestleMania show? Yeah, uh, they were, I think, uh, they were happy to see me not as much as not as happy as I was to see them, but I still think the remnants of their Watts experience, uh, you know, when somebody's scattering shit, people are standing around, they're going to get some on them. And I think, I don't know that they are fully, uh, trusting of me or whatever. I'm not sure exactly how to explain it. But the relationship was a little bit strained, and I, I, I felt bad about that because I really liked those guys. And I still do, and it's, and since then everything has been cool. I mean, I, you know, all during their their WWE run was there. Look, I call the big match for theirs at WrestleMania nine. Yeah, no, it was their first WrestleMania too. That's right. So, uh, and you go back and listen to that match. I didn't back off. I didn't not. I didn't undersell them. I took care of them as, as best of my ability and my role would allow. So, uh, but I wish it, I wish the watch thing could have been, uh, addressed and solved. You just got two very alpha males, big time capital a, and nobody wanted to take a step back. And then Watts, you know, had to, was insistent on making sure that everybody knew who was in charge and he, he didn't think he could manage Scott Steiner. So if you think you can't manage a guy, you sure as hell don't sign him back, but it was, uh, unfortunate, uh, not enough was done to make that right. And, uh, it was a big loss for WCW and I thought a big game for WWE, they brought a different presentation into the tag team wrestling in WWE than anybody on the roster. That's how good they were. And a different style, more physical, more athletic. So, uh, and they look, both look great. They're both, you believe in everything they're doing. And sometimes there were tag teams with gimmick names and gimmick presentations in, uh, WWE and WWF at a, again. Just, you know, it just, just didn't work in the respect Conrad. I don't know how to, how to explain it, but 
they were serious tag team guys and they worked really well with a lot of guys. Remember that nasty boys are already there. For example, they had people there that they knew they'd worked with, but, uh, it was a big game for W Vince got a good hire there. Those dudes. Let's talk a little bit about uh, King of the ring. It's a bit of a throwaway match. They're going to team with the smoking guns to beat money Inc and the head shrinkers. But then the next night on raw, they beat money Inc to win the tag titles. They lose it back on a house show on June 16th, but then win it back on the 19th. So now they're two time tag champs. Um, let's fast forward to uh, August 23rd. It's the SummerSlam spectacular. It's a steel cage match where the Steiners get a win over money Inc. The actual SummerSlam show, not the USA special sees the Steiners beat the heavenly bodies. And then on, uh, raw on September 13th, we have a Quebec province rules match where the Quebecers beat the Steiners by DQ and, uh, they have a famous manager with them, Johnny Polo, who we know is going to become the future Raven. I mentioned this Quebec province rules stipulation. Because here the titles can change hands on a DQ. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that little twist? It's a way to appease the talent. Yeah. It's a compromise. It's compromise booking. You know, I always believe that if you're a good enough worker and everybody's motivated and traveling in the same direction that, uh, putting somebody over is very doable. It's not going to kill you, but uh, when you got ex wrestlers making all the decisions as agents. That's how they grew up. That was the way of the world for, for a long time. You know, you, Hey brother, you got to protect your gimmick. You know, you can't lose clean. And, that, and that's why it, it, it angers me sometimes. It frustrates me better said that, uh, you know, uh, what well, he's beating right in the middle. Okay, good. I'm glad you got some terms down. I, I sit on online Twitter. stuff. you know, I can't believe you got beat in the middle. Well, what would you suggest Einstein? What would you suggest? How about making the people that win strong as hell so that the people that lose lost to somebody significant and it's, it keeps the door open for more competition. Right? So I, I look at this basically compromise booking and that's not, I don't think that's ever good for anybody. That's like the old, it's the same analogy of creating escaping the cage to win the match when I don't understand the logic of escape. I understand the logic of winning, pinning, sub- submitting, whatever. I just not big on that. Escape the case. Same thing. It's a, it's a conciliatory compromise booking that you do to quote unquote, protect the baby face or protect the heel. Cause nobody got pinned. Nobody submitted. Somebody was agile enough to climb the cage. Conrad, a finish that you and I will never do. Climb the cage and go down the other <laughs> side, both feet touching the floor. And now we got a winner. So it's, there's an excuse. And that really became in vogue in our business. When so many wrestlers became owners, part owners, bookers, etc., because they were like uh, union reps. They're going to protect their constituency, even though they didn't show any objectivity. It's just weak. Both of the Steiners have said they, they kind of didn't like working with the Quebecers. Uh, in fact, Scott is on record saying they were the shits. Uh, Rick said he didn't feel like the matches flowed. It was like pulling teeth to work with them. 
Uh, but we're not done with them. Survivor series. 93 happens on November 24th in Boston. The Steiners are on the all Americans team teaming with Lex Luger and the undertaker. They take on the foreign fanatics with Yoko Zuna, Ludwig Borga, uh, crush and Jacques of the Quebecers. It was supposed to be Tataka on the all Americans, but Ludwig pins Tataka with one finger after hitting him with a chair. And that ended the two year undefeated streak after the match, Yoko came in and he and Borga beat him up some more. Uh, so he misses the match. We should also mention, um, they're not, they're not exactly thrilled with what's happening here in their WWF run. Um, do you remember there being frustration visible with you, uh, on their side in 1993 or, or how soon once you join the company, do you realize, boy, this is probably not what they expected. Well, they, they weren't their happy go lucky jovial selves at some point in time in 93. I did notice that, uh, didn't know if it was separate separation anxiety. Look, they, they were based in Atlanta. They had homes in Atlanta. Uh, after a while, when it went upon further review, as the great referee, Jim Tunney would say that, uh, you know, they, they, they just weren't something wasn't clicking. And well, I'm not sure if it was travel, I, creative pay cash and creative as always, right? Cash and creative as always. Uh, and again, they were the kind of guys that like to be coached up. They like coaching. They like people to help them out. Uh, they're athletes. They're used to being around a coach athlete in a relationship. I'm not sure they were getting that whatsoever in WWE at that time. So if you don't pay any attention to them, they feel like they're not wanted. And I think that's kind of what the general malaise was with the Steiners there. They just didn't feel a part of the team yet. Let's, uh, let's keep it moving here and let's talk about the last of their WWF run. But before we do, I want to mention they do some shots in Japan, which I'm kind of surprised by January 4th. They make a new Japan shot. They beat Hase and Muto. Um, and, and it's not common in this era where you see WWF talent going to work in Japan. Mm-hmm. Was this something they had carved out in their contract up front or would they have gone to Vince and complained and, and gotten an opportunity to go make some extra cash across the pond. It may have been a gesture from Vince to help make them happy. Right. You know, Vince can see that, that they weren't overwhelmed by their tenure there in his company. And so maybe it could have been a, just simply a thing where, Hey, you got this chance to go get, make this money. I want to sign off on it. Try not get, try not to get hurt, blah, blah, blah. But you know, go go get your money. So I, I kind of think it was kind of had a little bit of that uh, involved in the decision making. Check this classic match out: January 11th, one week after their New Japan shot, they wrestle Owen and Bret Hart. The match goes to a double countout after 25 minutes. It wasn't on a pay per view, but boy, it could have been. It is on the WrestleFest '94 home video, and uh, I hope it's on the network sooner rather than later. But man, the Hearts and the Steiners. That's just good stuff right there. Beautiful. And also the fact that there wasn't a finish showed you that Vince was paying attention. Didn't want to beat the Steiners. He didn't want to beat the hearts. So that's the finish they came up with. Uh, 
and I, and I, I'll, I've always heard, I'm not going back and watch that match in years, but as best I recall, the, the match was excellent, just absolutely excellent. But when you stop and think about it, how the hell could it not be? I mean, look at who's in there and uh, you got Brett being the general and Owen, this classic. So, uh, yeah, that if you get a chance to catch that one, folks, go back and find it. It's a, it's really, it's really entertaining and, and 25 minutes of beautiful tag team wrestling. Rumble 94 goes down on January 22nd. Both Steiners are in it. Of course, Bruce has told the story that famously they wanted Rick Steiner, <coughs> excuse me, Scott Steiner rather to debut and win the rumble in 93, uh, and go on to WrestleMania. But of course, Scott turned that down wanting to uh, be a good tag team partner for his brother, just as his brother had when he left WCW, but now at the 94 rumble, which Jim was there for, uh, Scott comes in at number one and he eliminates Samu before being eliminated by diesel. Rick then comes in at number three. He doesn't eliminate anyone and Owen Hart puts him out. Do you remember there being discussion here in early 94 about perhaps splitting up the Steiner brothers and doing some brother versus brother stuff? Or is this one of those brothers don't fight initiatives from Vince? Well, I think that we'd, we'd earmark the fact that Scotty of the two guys probably had the most charisma and the, and the best chance of stepping out of the tag team shadow and becoming a very successful single star. And, uh, I think we saw that in Atlanta. <clears throat> so, uh, it was just, you know, it was just, it seemed like it made sense, <clears throat> but I don't know how much, uh, I don't know about him winning the rumble and all those things. I don't think that the Scott, especially, or excuse me, Rick, especially was very well booked in that rumble. Right. Well, it's even been mentioned, I think by Scott before that <coughs> the office wanted Rick and Scott to get into it and actually fight at this 94 rumble where they're both in it together <coughs> and they just Pardon flat me. turned that down. Um, yep. after the rumble, the Steiners are allowed to make some more shots for new Japan on February 16th. They beat Bobby Eaton and Mike Enos over there on the 17th. The very next day they beat Jushin Liger and power warrior. And then on the May 7th episode of superstars, IRS beats Scott Steiner to qualify for the King of the ring, which in hindsight feels like what, uh, but of course the Steiners wind up leaving the company not too long after this. And I think Scott has said that they were looking to get a better deal in Japan, but they just knew they wanted out of the WWF and both Steiners say the major reason they left was cash. Uh, Rick also says they were promised things that never <laughs> happened, which goes back to Jim's creative. It's always cash and creative. Always. Scott said in hindsight, they should have never come to the WWF. They were miserable there. Uh, did you ever get that impression from them or did they ever express that to you explicitly? Well, I don't know. No, they didn't express it to me explicitly, but it was, it'd take a blind person not to see right there. Uh, they just weren't happy. They were, they weren't. They weren't as, like I said earlier, they, they were great locker room guys. They were funny. They were pranksters. They lightened the mood, the mood a lot. Uh, but you, you, you saw that in Atlanta. Didn't see it so much in WWE. So you knew something was afloat. And the reason I'm assuming that, uh, Vince put, uh, uh, Rotunda over Scotty was the fact that I'm sure the Steiners had had meetings with Vince about, we're not happy. We're not making enough money. If we can't get a change, then we want to leave. 
So uh, I think Vince probably did the only finish that he could, quite frankly. Right. Uh, thinking, because pretty well knowing that the Steiners are out of here. Right. It's a matter of time. So I think that's why that finish went down. Nobody, you know, as much as I respect Mike Rotunda, and I loved him in the varsity club, uh, that, you know, he, he didn't have the star power that Scott Steiner did. He'd probably tell you that if he was sitting in next to you right now. Right. Just didn't. He's just a logical guy. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I think that all that had the money's it's always cash and creative Conrad. We talked about that ad nauseum, but that's, I just believe in that theory. When they leave the company, you would never officially work with them again as a tag team. Of course, later Scott would come in as a singles and work with triple H and that's a story for another day. Um, the Steiners are known for their ribbing. We've heard a lot of their ribs from the NWA and WCW days. Do you remember there being any WWF rib stories that come to mind? No, not really. Again, I wasn't on the road around those guys. I saw them at TVs, so nothing sticks out, but they were, they were good natured, you know, fun loving guys. I don't remember any ribs that took place that were harmful or where they, you know, the, all the famous ribs, you know, uh, or when Terry Taylor came in, they, somebody, when he was in the ring, they took his, uh, got scissors and shredded his suit just cause it didn't like him from previous days. Right. Type deal. Uh, but no, I don't remember any, anything that would, would, would have been, uh, physical or hurtful, maybe ornery, maybe mischievous, but certainly not, uh, in a overtly harmful way. No. Let's, uh, let's talk about their legacy for a minute. Are they the greatest brother tag team ever? Or where do you rank them on that list? Man, they're on the list. You know, it's hard to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm partial to the Briscoes, right? I'm my Oklahoma brethren, uh, my fellow native Americans, uh, we mentioned Owen and Brett can't have a list of brothers without mentioning Owen and Brett. I don't think, uh, but there are a lot of really good brother tag teams, but there would be no list that would be complete or realistic or believable without the Steiners. Yeah. I mean, I think it's up there with like, and don't get me wrong. There are quote unquote kayfabe brothers, but the Hardy boys, the Steiner brothers, the Harlem heat, the Briscoes, that's gotta be the top of the heap, right? All, all good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All good. But again, no list is complete without the Steiners included. Yeah. One of my absolute favorites as a kid, I gotta ask, you know, obviously Scott's been pretty vocal and he's, uh, he marches to the beat of his own drummer. And yep. for all those reasons, he may never be in the WWE hall of fame or maybe posthumously, or maybe he'll chill out one day. Who knows? But for better or worse, I think Rick Steiner's probably on the outside looking in. They had a hall of fame worthy career, but I don't know that they'd put in Rick as a single. You need to put the Steiners in together. Do you think we'll ever see it happen? I'd like to hope so. Me too. I like to think so, Conrad. I, I mentioned this. I got, of course, it's funny how a lot of the, uh, wrestling websites listen to every word we say, so they can throw out a scintillating titillating click. I kind of like that word titillating, sure. uh, uh, headline to get clicks. I mentioned, made the comment that albeit I'm very proud to be a member of the WWE hall of fame. And I went in in 2007 with Lawler and Dusty, great class, perfect Samoans, 
It's great. Uh, the uh, original Sheik was in that group. Now I'm thinking, why the hell am I in it? <laughs> With all those guys, man. Uh, but I, I, it's got to become more legitimate than just a TV show. Right. So all of a sudden now we're falling all over ourselves to make sure we have minority representation, but we, we, we can't have that much, but we can't have that much minority re- representation. It's like the old territory deal. Well, we got one African-American on the roster. That's all we need. I wouldn't care if you got a hall of fame class and they're all African-Americans or minorities. What the fuck difference does it make? It makes no difference right? to me. So, uh, but as a television show where you're looking for diversity and you're looking for, uh, you know, that, uh, you got, well, we got one woman we got one uh, minority. We got, it's just two TV show formatted. And I think that's a mistake, but I also understand, and you mentioned this and it caught my eye, uh, posthumously is not the way to go. And you know, we, it's like the Tiger Woods incident this week. You know, that son of a gun's lucky to be alive. It was uh, last week, wink, wink. <laughs> oh yeah, last week. Time flies and you're having fun. Yeah, boys. I'm in an alternate universe right now. But none of, yeah, but but when Tiger Woods had his wreck, right, that could have been it. Right, that could have been it, Conrad. It's, and it's over. He's one of the greatest, arguably the greatest golfer of all time, is dead. Well, th- luckily that did not occur. But you never, my point is you never know our tomorrows are never guaranteed. Let's always remember that. And, uh, so I, I believe the Stein, if the Steiner brothers are not deserving of a WWE hall of fame induction, then who is right? Who is who's more deserving? That's not already in it. So I hope that they're both inducted. They're both deserving. And I think it would be a, he's talking about the TV show elements. I think people would froth at the mouth to be, to be, uh, to see those two guys going together. Let's, uh, let's do some questions. By the way, if you've got a question for next week's show, which will be on WrestleMania 20, you can ask it right now over at JR grilling on Twitter. If you haven't already throw us a follow right there, it's at JR grilling on Twitter. Uh, next week it's WrestleMania 20. We'll run down the card in just a moment, but first we do have some questions about Rick Steiner. Stuart wants to know who was the bigger ribber or ribbed harder, Rick or Scott. I think Rick probably was, he was more jovial and fun loving. You know, Scotty was overtly intense. He hadn't noticed. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I think Rick was the, the ringleader of that frivolity and, uh, Hey, there's nothing better than having the toughest guy in the, in the room be, uh, a nice guy, be a funny guy, good spirited guy. And, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a big Rick Steiner fan. As I said, at the beginning of this broadcast and, you know, his son is, uh, I, th- I guess his son Bronson signed with WWE. Yes, he did. You know, uh, I talked to him, he came to a AEW event in, uh, when we were in Atlanta. God dang. He looks like his dad thick, you know, he was a fullback in, in college and got, he got picked up as a free agent by the Ravens. I don't know how, I don't know other teams that he went to for a tryout, but then he saw that the NFL was not going to be his cup of tea. At least he gave it a shot. 
uh, come from a small school there in Georgia, maybe Kennesaw state or something like that. But golly, man, he looks like a wrestler. Yes, he does. He, Can't wait to see he what looks, he does. He looks like a wrestler. So I wish him nothing but the best and you know, he'll get good training there. Uh, uh again, it's a matter of who communicates with him and who, who adopts him as their, as their kid and how they bring him along. Great friend of the show, Mr. Lenny Bakken, who's on Twitter at Lenny Bakken, which is B a K K E N. Uh, he's uh, a lot of our guys here on the podcast network money guy. If you're looking for one, he writes to the, uh, account here to your knowledge. Did anyone ever try to mess with Rick? My guess is that he's in the same category as Ron Simmons, which has been described as being unfuck withable. <laughs> yeah. I say he was uh, on that same shelf. Yeah. Yeah. No, but here's the other thing. Of course, Scotty put off a emitted a aura of a little bit of fear and intimidation. Even though Rick had the same qualities, he just had a different personality. So if you're going into the locker room and Scotty's sitting over here and Rick Steiner's sitting over there, you might go to the Rick Steiner side of the room. Right. Because Scotty was so at times volatile and unpredictable. So Rick was just the, as my granny would say, Rick was better turned than his brother, a little bit better positive personality. Let's talk real briefly about, we got this question a lot of different ways, but I think it brings up a whole new subject and then we'll move on. But Dylan Roberts says, at what point did you realize Rick was the Marty Jannetty of the team? Great solid worker, but obvious that Scott was the star as a wrestling purist. I loved him, but I didn't think he had it. And Jr. I disagree. I think when mm. they were first on the scene together, Rick yeah. was the star. He had the personality. He's the yeah. dog face gremlin. The kids loved him. He's talking to his hand. He's barking. He had the headgear and the mismatch boots and wore his belt backwards. He was the star that stood out to me. And I think somewhere around the time that Scott introduced the Frankensteiner it became the hottest move in wrestling and he blew up as big as a house and you couldn't help, but take notice of him. And I don't know that there's many tag teams where that's the case. It does feel like for whatever reason, right or wrong, a lot of people throw the term around Marty Jannetty, meaning, oh, he wasn't the superstar. The other guy was probably an unfair comparison. Marty Jannetty was a phenomenal worker. Ask anyone yep. he worked with, but yep. he was just had happened to be tagging with the greatest wrestler ever in, in Shawn Michaels. But I don't think that it was obvious that Scott Steiner was the star of the group. I think it was Rick and then maybe it became Scott. And I can't think of many other instances where that was the case with tag teams. No, I agree with you. Uh, I appreciate the call or the, the, the listeners, a question uh, and thanks for listening and checking in on the question there for us, but I don't agree with it. Right. I'm with you, Con. I'm your camp on that one. Uh, they were interchangeable parts. Uh, I don't know that either would ever have gained the notoriety and the, then the infamy that as a, as a single, two singles, as they did as a tag team, they just went together. The realness of being brothers, their, 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 uh, they look like brothers. They felt like brothers and. People can, more people than not can identify with, uh, competing with your sibling, right? It's just little league spelling bee, 
who can eat the most cake. I don't know. It's always competition with brothers. Right. So these guys were really, uh, I thought really special in that regard, but I don't agree with that at all is that. So I guess the, this, the, the fella is basically comparing, making sure or saying that, uh, that, that Rick was a weak link. I, I don't see that. I don't see that at all. <laughs> Me neither. We did get questions like this that we didn't bring up today. Matt wants to know any insight on where the name Dogface gremlin came from. I really don't know. I think one of the boys gave him that okay. maybe Scotty. Hell, I don't know, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, the dog face gremlin, there's so much more that could have been done with that coloring books and, <clears throat> and all kinds of things of that nature. So, but it was kind of cute. And, uh, he was great in that role. Most of the things we did, Conrad knows to take things with woman were one takes, right? That's how good he was. <clears throat> you don't say that about too many guys that can pull off, uh, extemporaneously one takes real fast. Let's do a few more and then we'll wrap things up here. Uh, lots of people wanted to know this. Tyler says when WCW closed, did you try getting Rick Steiner to come back for a run in WWE while you were still in talent relations? I think we had a couple of conversations. He just wasn't interested. You know, uh, Rick. Don't judge a book by its cover. You know, not only was he, did he not uh, created a real successful real estate business down in Atlanta and was, you know, doing very well. And then he was on the school board down there an elected office. Uh, he became a civilian and he liked his nine to five, so to speak. He liked not traveling. He got to go to his son's football games. He had very little, if any interest in returning back to a quote unquote, full-time position in pro wrestling. So yeah, I've been a fool not to at least explore the potential. And I think I explored the potential with him without ever talking to Vince. Hey Vince, I'm going to call Scott or Rick Steiner. So if he's interested in coming back, because I didn't want to get shot down in the very beginning. If I went back to Vince and said, look, I talked to Scott Steiner today. He's really interested in coming back to work. I think we can really use him. What do you think? So then it's a little easier to sell because we've sure. already got, we've already halfway down the road here. So yeah, I, I, we had a couple, but they're just phone conversations and they ended up being basically how's the kids, how's the family, how's the work and just catching up. But he just had any, he had no interest in that ship had sailed and he'd moved on. And unlike a lot of the boys, uh, he moved on into an area that was new to him that he had to master that he was challenged to get his real estate license and all those things and, and then create a business out of it. So. Uh, quite honestly, he, he made the right decision. He really did. He made the right decision over the long haul. So, uh, I'm, a, I'm always, uh, I was always admired his, uh, his, you know, that this is courage to start something new, Conrad, start something new. That's like somebody talking to you about your, you know, a long time ago, you know, I, I got this idea to start this podcast network. Yeah. Oh shit. You know, well, good for you. Make a spot for old Jr. He'd like to be on it, <laughs> you know? Uh, but when guys get out of their comfort zone and, uh, then I, I, I appreciate that. I admire that. And that's what he was willing to do. And he's been successful at it. 
you get out of your comfort zone. When you start at jrsbbq.com, you've got jerky, you've got books, you've got all purpose seasoning. You've got main event mustard. Of course, you've got the Chipotle ketchup, but everyone's favorite. It's the sauce baby. And it's at jrsbbq.com. And you guys are shipping pretty fast these days, right? Yeah. Uh, we're f- processing orders after our blizzard of, uh, 2020, 2021, we're back to normal shipping and everything's good. Uh, we're getting ready to get some of these in. I like these it. are the paperback of, uh, under the black hat and boy, Simon and Schuster does a phenomenal job. Tiller press, all those guys did a great job of, uh, packaging this. Uh, it feels, it feels real. It feels good. Uh, it's not a flimsy piece of business. And so we're going to be getting those in our place soon and, and selling them. Uh, so I'm glad that that's project is underway. Plus I'm going to be doing a bunch of, as we go forward, uh, in March, and, uh, in May or April, March and April, I'm going to be doing some, uh, virtual signings at some book stores and, and libraries. And I mean, these guys are serious about promoting this book, which I love. So, and, you know, our, we're still ongoing, having talks about the, the movie rights. And I don't, you know, again, I don't, I'm not getting over excited about it. I'm not saying we got a done deal, but what I am saying is that, uh, there's really a, uh, a real opportunity. So pieces are being put in place. Uh, plan on having a significant meeting about that this week. And, uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm just trying to figure out who's going to play you. Oh man. I got some ideas. I can't wait. <laughs> I've also got some ideas about WrestleMania 20. That's our topic next week. If you haven't already hurried over to jrsbbq.com, pick up a care package. It's going to be great for grilling season. Cause it's yeah. always grilling season, but it's also a great present. Uh, if you got mother's day coming up or father's day or whatever, right. who doesn't like the gift of food? Come on, man, go to jrsbbq.com and uh, it's going to be something they enjoy and reorder over and over and over. And we'll never get tired of talking about WrestleMania 20. We're coming your way next week with that right here on grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Thanks everybody for tuning in. We appreciate your business and, uh, your support and Conrad, please. Heavy on the mister. We'll see you next week. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.